the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. So it's been nearly two years since the Pulse nightclub attack. Two years. And I'm going to blow your mind. Because we've just now gotten a clear picture of what really happened on that terror-filled night. Now, think of the Pulse nightclub shooting. What was this all about? The killer pledged allegiance to ISIS. Therefore, the killer was a radical Islamic terrorist. This was a terror attack. Zero room for speculation there. But that's not what the media ran with. For two years, the media and many in the gay community have been calling this a hate crime on the LGBT community. Hours after the attack went down, the media went into a full-on narrative mode, trying to paint the picture of the killer as a man with repressed anger over his own sexual urges who couldn't reconcile that with his faith. They pulled in witnesses from the club that swore they'd seen him there uh, before looking for a homosexual encounter. They connected him to gay dating apps and even interviewed his ex-wife that claimed she had always expected he might have been gay. He, he liked to look at himself in the mirror a lot. So surely he was gay. So instead of having a discussion of the dangers of radical Islamic terrorism and ISIS, we're now having discussions on gay rights, how Republicans were turning gay men into killers with their repression and hate crimes on the gay community. So really, what was this? Was this an ISIS terror attack or was it a gay hate crime? Two years later. We now know the entire timeline of what went down that night, and the motive is clear. The question is, will the media undo or at least attempt to undo the damage that has been done in tearing us apart? The Pulse nightclub was not the killer's intended target. Now listen to this. What was the intended target? It was Disney. At 10 p.m., the killer arrived at the Disney World shopping and entertainment area. They, they now have footage, security camera footage, showing him using a stroller to conceal his weapon. It showed him passing by multiple police officers and security officers and even stopping to watch their movements. It was the security at Walt Disney World that made him rethink his choice. Good guys with a gun stopped a terror attack on Disney that night. They didn't even know they were doing it. It was just the presence now imagine if Disney World would have been marked a gun-free zone. Imagine if people would have open-carried. How many more attacks would be stopped before they even got started? But this isn't even the point. The killer then went to his car 
and he pulled out his phone. We now know that he Googled downtown Orlando nightclubs. Notice he didn't say gay nightclubs. The top two hits were Eve nightclub, which is not a gay club, and Pulse. He pulled up directions to Eve and then surveilled the club. He got directions to Pulse and did the same. He apparently decided that Eve was an easier target because he then plugged the directions back into his phone and began to drive in that direction. But a few minutes into the drive, back to Eve, he turned back towards Pulse and then began his attack. During the entire night, not once did he make a derogatory remark about gay people. Not once. It was his third choice. Disney was number one. Number two was a straight nightclub. And number three was Pulse. Everything he said was regarding U.S. policy in the Middle East. And his goal of bringing violence to the U.S. mainland. The killer was looking for the softest target with a lot of people. Who he killed... Who they slept with didn't matter as long as they were Americans. Who's done more damage? Him or us? He killed people. But between the media and social media, look how we have torn ourselves apart. We live in a tribal society where anyone and everyone is looking to use a tragedy. What do you think is happening now with Parkland? They are using a tragedy to tear us apart, to point fingers, to assign blame and gain power. Is there anybody anymore in America that doesn't wear a tribal jersey Is there anybody in America who says the only group I'm a part of is the American group, is the group that will deem themselves human over everything else? I saw a film last night, a woman that this audience rescued in the Middle East. She was asked, What is your hope for the future? She had been a slave for four years. She had been sold 16 times. She said, my hope is is that I can live somewhere where I am deemed a human. That was her goal. That's a pretty low bar where I am deemed a human. Will we ever stop chasing narratives, looking for a win for our team, our tribe, our side? Will we ever, once again, look at our neighbor and not see the word enemy, but instead see the words fellow human being? The narrative chasing is tearing us apart. I don't know what the rest of the media is going to do, and I don't know what everybody else is going to do. 
But for me and my household, we've made our choice. Let's try to be better. It's Thursday, March 29th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. You know, I have to talk to my friend Riaz. You know, Riaz, a gay Muslim man, was there in Orlando for a wedding, a Muslim wedding, when the Pulse nightclub shooting happened. He was in full Islamic garb, and he said, I had everybody look at me like I was a killer. And he said, I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm an American. He said, and then they were targeting gays. He's like, I didn't know, I, I couldn't live in this country if they were going to look at me like a killer. And then they were going to, they were, they were, they were, the killers were tracking down gays. Now, I don't know where you would live. And he figured that out quickly. He's like, I can't, I can't live like this. I can't live suspecting that people all around America just hate me for one reason or another. And he has gone on a two-year journey, and he has found the exact opposite. He's found that nobody really hates him. He has found a group of people <laughs> that are, as he said to me just last week, conservatives are not anything like anybody is saying to me they are. They don't have a problem with my lifestyle. They didn't have a problem with my husband. They didn't have a problem with my adopted children. They didn't have a problem with my faith. They just wanted to know, am I a good person? What's my character? Yes. Yes. Now, here's a guy who was truly affected by the Pulse nightclub shooting. I'll bet you he doesn't know yet. I'll bet you he doesn't know what came out yesterday. That this guy was not targeting homosexuals at all. He was targeting Disney. How come I haven't seen this any place today? Isn't this a kind of a big deal? It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. Especially in the in the idea of when we're talking about guns, right? You brought up yes. that point. That he actually went to Disney, saw a bunch of people with guns, decided not to do it there. Yes. Kind of a big deal. How many? How many? I mean, Glenn, thousands, thousands of things like this probably get averted worldwide every year because of that. Okay. And when none of them are ever reported on because no one knows. Here we are talking about guns right now, and we're talking about guns in this ridiculous way. Ridiculous way. They will not define an assault rifle. They will not define it. Well, if you can't define it, then there's no way to pull it off the streets. Okay? There's no way to ban something that you won't def- define. You know what? I want to, uh, I'm going to ban all defibrillators from, from here on out. Uh, all, um, all, you know, steam-powered uh, defibrillation uh, systems are going to be uh, banned. W- wait. What? It's quite a blow to the I'm, community. Yeah, I'm going now. I'm going to define what those things are. You might think you know what it is, but I'm going to define that later after we pass it. I could ban anything. I could take anything away. 
Right, and they did try to define them, of course, in in the in the nineteen ninety four assault yeah, weapons ban, and and they got it around work. it, and it added what twenty million yes. weapons to the to the to the United States of America anyway during the ban. So it doesn't it doesn't work. So what are we talking about? We're having this stupid argument when all Americans all they want to do is protect their children. I just want to protect my children. I want to make sure that my children's school is safe. Well, here's a story where a terrorist went to kill a bunch of people and left because he saw armed police officers. Well, that tells me what should we do in our schools, Stu? Gee, I don't know. It's such a tough one. Uh, Maybe armed security. armed security be there and visible. It's not going to solve everything, obviously, as we saw in, in Parkland, but it was there. I mean, at least, would you rather have someone there and take your chances with whether they're going to step in and do the right thing, or... Would you rather go the opposite way and have nobody there and know that you have no chance? That's, uh, that's unbelievable to me. It's unbelievable. And and that's 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 the secondary story. Yeah, that's not even the big thing. That's I mean, not even the big part of this story. The other part is this has been used to divide us, to call us a hate mongering nation that we all are against gay people that were and that had nothing to do with it. It was an Islamic extremist story, as we pointed out at the time. And that part has not been diminished as they've gone through the facts. But it wasn't even that it was his faith that made him kill these people because they were gay. It had nothing to do with them being gay. You know, you could say, well, no, it, yeah, it yeah, was an right. Islamic extremist and Islamic extremists are throwing, you know, gay people off the roof. Yes, there are those people and there are lots of those cases. This isn't one of them. No, he just wanted people dead. Americans. Unbelievable unbelievable that, it really is incredible because a, we went from we went from from uh, saying have it furthering a discussion of hey we've got islamic extremists in this country and we better do something or because all they want to do is kill us to forget about islamic extremists this is an attack on gay people and we started talking about the hatred of gay people which are you kidding me this had nothing to do with it. I mean, it went two years unquestioned. And when the whole thing reverses itself, they say we no. get no coverage. No coverage. I haven't seen any coverage this morning. I haven't seen none. Not yeah. one word. Did you know that Stormy Daniels filed another oh, lawsuit, though? Did that, you hear, that I know. By did watching you hear what Trump's new attorney said? Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Trump's new attorney. Trump's new doctor. We got that going on. What? The, what is wrong? Obsession with a man like that is not a good thing. It's not a good thing for anybody. It's not a good thing for him. It's not a good thing for us. It's certainly not a good thing for the media. I'm glad you're here this morning. You need to spread the word of what really happened. We'll make that opening monologue available soon on theblaze.com, and you just spread it to your friends. Make sure that they know. You've been lied to, you've been abused, you have been manipulated yet again. It's no, there's no reason to get angry about it. It's just stop now being manipulated. Stop, stop, stop. Start to question everything from both sides. Stop being manipulated. Because man... Look at what we have. What, what look what we found out recently in the last week. Cambridge Analytica, Facebook manipulating, Russia manipulating, our mainstream media manipulating. You got to do your homework. 
you got to do your homework. And don't get on to a team. I want to talk to you about a new sponsor. I love this story. I love this story. This is the kind of story that makes me proud to endorse a product. Filterby is our is our sponsor. They're America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. The leader. And I've had the opportunity to get to know the owner. His name is David. He was working on Wall Street. He had a big title. He was making a lot of money on Wall Street and everything else. About five years ago, um, he found that his uh, that the, the supply business that his grandfather had started, he started in 1958, it was being sold because it had been decimated um, in 2008. And all of the jobs that were built there by his grandfather in Alabama would be lost forever. David decided this is more important. So he quit his Wall Street job. He bought the business. And then he thought, okay, so what grandpa had done in 1958 is no longer really valid here anymore. What? What is it that Americans need? What is it that people really need? And so he started doing his homework. He transformed it into a company that would become filter by. Now they employ over 100 people. All of the air filters are made right in Alabama and they're shipped free within 24 hours. And you can set up auto delivery and it'll save you $5 on, sorry, 5% on top. So they have 600 different sizes available, including custom options. You're going to find the right filter for your home or for your business. And then you don't have to go out and go to a Home Depot or anything else. You don't have to worry about it. It just comes. Filterbuy.com. Filterbuy.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. This is another piece of unbelievable news that you won't get anywhere else. This is coming from the Daily Wire. Uh, the March for Our Lives. It's a it's a youth uprising, correct? Actually, no. Now the data is beginning to show us something different. According to a scientific survey taken during the march itself by researchers associated with the Washington Post who have tracked the anti-Trump resistance since it began the night after the election, the March for Our Lives was 70% women. Nearly three quarters of the marchers, 72, had a bachelor's degree or higher level of graduate education, putting them into the leftist elite category. Most importantly, though, less than 10% of the marchers were under the age of 18, even though the march was clearly supposed to be for and about high school-aged children, only 10% of the crowd was made up of those people. Of those adults attending the march who were over 18, the average age was 49 years old. Do you remember how they used to say it's nothing but gray-haired people at the tea party? Nothing but old people? Weirder still, according to the Washington Post data collection operation, most of the marchers were not even motivated by the issue of gun control. Only 12% of the people 
who had never marched in a protest before were at the March for Our Lives because they were motivated by gun control. 12%. Instead, protesters reported being motivated by the issues of peace and Trump. Huh. 79% were identified, self-identified as left-leaning. 89% Glenn, voted for Beth, Hillary Clinton. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Doesn't this just make you want to turn off all television today? Doesn't it make you want to stop reading all news? Just what we've gone through, we're not done yet. Just what we've gone through in the last half hour. We found out yesterday that the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando had nothing to do with them being gay. Nothing. It was his third choice that night. His number one choice was the Disney park. So they was going to go to the entertainment center, which is just off the grounds uh, of uh, Walt Disney World, just on the edges of it. And it's open. You don't need to have a ticket. And he went in. He put a gun in a stroller. And he was walking around and he was going to kill people. And he's all on videotape. And apparently he saw too many cops standing around, too many security officers. And he watched them. He watched their movements for a while. Then he decided, I'm going to go find some other place. He took his gun and his stroller, put it back into the car. He got into the car. He Googled nightclubs in Orlando. Didn't say gay. Nightclubs in Orlando found found two of them. Pulse was his third choice. Third, Disney. Then the Eve nightclub, which he surveilled and rejected for some reason, and then went to Pulse. He was looking for an easy, soft target. Had nothing to do with gay. And also has everything. It is very relevant. Very relevant. Today, in the argument of what we can do to protect our schools. We found all this out yesterday as everything was finally released yesterday. Hmm. Once again, targeting a gun-free zone. He saw right. a, a zone filled with guns and left it and went to a place he didn't believe guns would be. Then, after that, we find out from the Washington Post, from the Washington Post, that this, this whole thing with the march with the teenagers, no, the vast majority... A whopping 90% of marchers were middle-aged. 90%. Grassroots children's movement, right? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, also, they found out that... Uh, let me get the exact number here. Um, only 12% of the people had never marched in a protest... Only 12% of the people were motivated by gun control. 56 wanted peace. 42% had problems with Trump. Wait, so you didn't even march for gun control? Only 12%? It's amazing. And 90% of the marchers were middle-aged? This had nothing to do with kids had nothing to do with guns. But it's what the media wants. It's what the media wants. They it's want what the their, media wants. They want their gun control, and that's why they covered the March for Our Lives for 13 times as much as they covered the March for Life, which has such a similar title. You'd think maybe they'd even make a mistake and send some reporters to it, but no. 
Uh, in fact, the, the March for Life was covered uh, one-fifth of the amount of times as the Women's March, which was, you know, again, just about Trump. This one, they were able to hide that it was about Trump and say it was about gun control. Uh, and it was 13 times as much coverage. And again, what's, what's, what's really interesting is it's not the people they say were doing it. It's not the reason they say they were doing it. But they want this so bad, they've turned into such an advocacy organization. And I mean, like, the large swath of the mainstream media on this cause. They're just activists on this. And they want it so badly that they just don't care about those statistics. They don't care. Uh, By the way, according to the New York Times, since 2012, 138 people have been killed by guns at schools in the United States. 138. That's 138 too many. However, according to the Center for Disease Control, over 6 million babies were killed by abortion in the same time period. I don't know. What do you think? Both are bad. Both are bad. Both are bad. And you used to say, oh, it should be rare. Well, really? Because you're not saying that anymore. And by the way, you're not saying that anymore because you didn't mean it. And we said at the time you didn't mean it. Now you're saying, well, we don't want to take away your guns. We don't want to repeal the Second Amendment. Why should we believe you? We need a Disney princess that has an abortion. Right. right? You're (laughs) telling us, you've told us during health care that you didn't want single payer. And yet, you're now only talking about single payer. You told us that you wanted abortions rare but safe. Now you're saying... Open anytime, all the time. Nothing wrong with them. You should be proud of it. Why should we believe you on the Second Amendment? I wanted to talk to my friend Riaz because uh, this, the Pulse nightclub shooting changed his life, changed the course of his life. Welcome, Riaz Patel. How are you, sir? Hello, Glenn. How are you? Good. Did you have you heard the news that came out yesterday about the shooting in Orlando? I just, I just did as I was dropping my kids off. To- school so i just did and it does it shifts the focus a bit doesn't it uh, yeah it's amazing it's amazing disney was his first choice he turned around because of uh because of armed security which is a gun control point what we should talk about but it had nothing to do with with gay people it was his third choice it had nothing to do with gay people so how does that make you feel I mean, I guess to me, the, the the shift of what was the spark, you know, certainly felt bizarre to be in the middle of both both the Muslim attacking and the gay club goer who was the was the recipient. I mean, it 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 to me it doesn't change the fact that there is this war going on, and whether it's happening in Disneyland or the or the nightclubs, it's it's a major concern for everyone. Um, but. The narrative, and you and I talk about this a lot because I produce television, the narrative changes. And so we have to look at the information and the situation based on what we now know, which does shift things. So, Riaz, why is no one reporting on this? This is, do you believe, I mean, this is big news, don't you think? Glenn, if, if I got, got, went mad every time I information know. that was on my one side of my life was not conveyed on the other. I mean, it's, it's maddening to see how often I have this conversation with the left saying, not just what do you believe about this, but your whole perception might be off. You know, I, you and I are working on this, this project to sort of really try and figure out, look, they don't separate the children. 
They don't say liberal children and conservative children, can you guys separate? So there has to be some narrative that we can work together on. It's not being reported because it's not nearly as ratings-wise interesting as Stormy Daniels. What do and you, that is a sad, sad state of affairs. What do you say to, because you were the one who fought with me last week when I said, look, I don't think that the average Democrat wants to take guns. And you said, don't fool yourself. <laughs> uh, they're now yeah. arguing on TV uh, that, uh, that, the, that the, this is a boogeyman, that coming to take the repeal the Second Amendment and coming to take guns is a boogeyman. Is it a boogeyman? I mean, I, I think based on the, the outreach that I, the rage that I'm hearing, you know, we are not, this is the thing I was saying when you and I were chatting in your office, we don't understand guns at all. Like, I'm not used to being around them. I don't have them in my home for protection. It's just a different way of looking at the world. Rather than saying, your way is wrong, my way is right, we have to coexist. Because, again, they're not separating the kids. It's something that we have to get over our own egos to be able to work together. But I don't believe repealing the Second Amendment is, is, makes sense for anyone's time, energy, or more than anything else, money and media buys. We don't have the money and the time and the energy to spend. We don't have extra money laying around to spend on waging war on the Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights. You know, it's not the 20th, it's the second. It's a, it's a pretty important one. So it's not a waste, it's a waste of our time. And I, I say this to my liberal progressive friends all the time. Why are you going... At, do you not think there are things we can do? How often are they killing kids at the rate of, what, 15 a month? I don't know. I haven't done the statistics. It's an absurd statistic to have to do. While you go after the Second Amendment in your absurd quest to change the country into something that it wasn't, then how many kids are going? How many kids are being shot? Do we have that time? And so I really am, and believe it or not, I am convincing when I'm one-on-one or two-on-one, I am getting the message across that this is it's not about guns. It's about control. In the same way that gay marriage was never really about the gay part, it was about the, the government getting involved in marriage. I, I see how the translation is becoming the problem on both sides. It's lost in the translation because people are specifically feeding you a specific translation. It gets, gets you angry, gets you activated, gets you to donate money. I got an email last night that the Democratic, some Democratic Party said they have now $18.67 per person donated to the political democratic process, to the DNC. I'm like, we have children being shot. Can we not put that money and resources and time towards something like that? It's, it's an absurdist situation. So, Riaz, I think it's, um, I thought it was important. I wanted to hear from you because I know the Pulse nightclub shooting was a pivot point in your life. And now to hear yeah. that, you know, pretty much everything that you thought is wrong uh and it it is what everyone is saying about guns is also incorrect when it comes to our schools this is proof that a guy with a gun that wanted just to kill a bunch of people went put his guns in a baby carriage had gone in and had then seen oh wow there's too many armed people here and turned around and left and found a soft target. It means we need to harden our schools. That will deter some of this, if not a lot of, or most of it. And that is a conversation that we need to have. And both sides who are shouting as loud as they possibly can, again, there's a commonality. You have kids, I have kids, they're not separating them. So I agree with you. The narrative has changed. But to me, the pivot of what I'm doing 
is just as important. No, I know, I, I know. found myself in the middle of this divide. No, like, I, I think they're even higher. Riaz, I think this actually makes what you and I have been talking about even more important because this shows this was just this was built on on lies or or tribal uh, tribal goals. This wasn't built tribal on facts. Goals. It's just tribal goals. So, Riaz, the tribalism will destroy us if yep. we don't watch it and get to know our neighbors. Thanks a lot, Riaz. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. You bet. Riaz Patel, TV producer, two-time Emmy Award winner. He hates it when I say this. Hollywood guy. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Hollywood guy. He's like, come on, man. You can call me anything. You can call, you can call me Muslim, a Muslim immigrant, a gay guy, married, two children. Just don't call me that. The IRS released their annual Dirty Dozen list of tax scams and phone scams. Uh, are on the top of the list, the phone scams. Uh, and that and that's playing a role right now. What's happening is people are posing as an IRS uh, representative and they'll call you up and they'll say, uh, by the way, you got your tax return and there was a problem and you have to pay this. You owe money. And if you don't subject to punishment, uh, you're going to somebody's going to come and arrest you and you're out of time. We've been trying to contact you for a while now. Taxes, tax time, a lot of people are playing this. Please don't get fooled by it. There are a lot of different threats out in today's connected world, and it takes one week, a weak link to break the entire chain. Criminals get in. That's why new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection is adding the power of Norton Security to help protect you against the threats to your identity and your devices that you won't be able to easily see or fix on your own. And if you have a problem, they have agents who are going to work to fix it. Now, nobody can stop all our cyber threats or prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But now the new LifeLock with Norton Security is able to uncover the threats that you might otherwise miss. So go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use the promo code BECK for an additional 10% off your first year. That's promo code BECK at LifeLock.com. Save 10%. LifeLock.com. Promo code BECK. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Ooh, it's been a uh, it's been an incredible hour of discovery. I can't get over this. I mean, the Pulse nightclub shooting was not about gay people. We found that out this hour, and then we also find out that the March for Our Lives was not about gun control. And you say, well, wait a minute, that's what the media has been saying over and over again. Well, the Washington Post, to their credit, by the way, uh, went and found out, decided to dissect actually who went. First of all, very small percentage were actually young people. 90% were middle-aged. 90%. 90%. You might think, okay, well, if it's a young, if you're a 15-year-old and you're going to this march, you're probably there with an adult. So you wouldn't be surprised if it was 50%, let's just say. Yeah. But the fact that it was 90% is surprising. And, and then, the fact that it was 90% and you never saw that represented on TV. You've only seen the young people. Yeah. How do you shoot around an audience that is 90% middle-aged? Extreme desire. Yes. Extreme desire to yep. to message something in a specific way. Yep. And uh, along 
that front. Only 12% of the people uh, who were new to protesting reported they were there to motivate motivated the march because of the gun control issue compared to 60% of the participants with experienced protesting. So again, 60% of people who are general who are the protesters, right? The people that are there all the time. Who were the part, of, that, the, the part of the march, march. women's march. They were they are at every march that goes on with these right. organizations. Those people knew the narrative. They knew to go to the people and say, "Hey, 60 Yeah, absolutely. We're here for gun control." The people who were just there because this in particular event inspired them to go out there and be activists, the grassroots of the grassroots movement, only 12% of them said that they were protesting to uh, to support gun control. Now, imagine that person. You've seen wait, all wait, the coverage. Wait. So, you know, the number one was peace and number two was anti-Trump. Yeah. You watch the news. You're going to this event. So you're obviously dedicated to this at some level, right? You watch the news. You know the narrative of what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be about restricting guns to save children's lives. Not about the Second Amendment, of course. You love the Second Amendment. But it's, it's about ch- saving children's lives. And then an interviewer comes up to you. You're dedicated enough to be at that rally. And still, only 12% of them said, yeah, gun control. So, I mean, 12% is probably high. Probably there's cer- certain people in there who are just, I don't like Trump, uh, and are smart enough to know, well, the answer is supposed to be gun control here. So I better say gun control. Amazing. That's incredible. Incredible. And incredible that the media has not covered it at all. Thank you, Washington Post. Thank you, Washington Post. Where's the big expose on telling us who these people really are, CNN? Where is it? Glenn Beck. Mercury. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. It's now known the early years of the 21st century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's and yet as mortal as his own. Across an immense ethereal gulf, minds that are to our minds as ours are to the beasts of the jungle, intellects vast, cool, and unsympathetic regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this program to bring you a special bulletin. The city of Atlanta has been struck by intelligences greater than man's. This is not science fiction. I repeat, this is not science fiction. In fact, based on the paltry media coverage the incident has garnered, it doesn't even seem to be all that sensational. But nearly a week after a group of hackers led a ransomware attack on Atlanta... City government officials are still unable to use their computers. A week. And Atlanta still cannot use their computers. Atlanta mayor told the press, we are dealing with a hostage situation. The hacker, the hackers who have not been publicly identified have demanded $51,000 in ransom in Bitcoin. When asked if the city is willing to pay the ransom, the mayor said everything is up for discussion. 
The cyber attack on Atlanta with a metro area population of roughly six million people follows similar citywide attacks like last year's cyber attack on Dallas, which triggered tornado sirens throughout the city. Cyber attacks have affected Japan, Israel and Canada. In an increasingly technologically dependent world, the stakes are higher by the minute. For most of us, the threat is identity theft. It's doubtlessly a problem. But the threat of cyber attacks on cities and nations seems a little underplayed. It would appear that a real-life War of the Worlds type invasion would pass as just one other story in our already inundated news feeds. What is news? Did you hear? Did you hear what Donald Trump's lawyer said about Stormy Daniels? Did you hear what Stormy Daniels said? Did you know that the city of Atlanta has been shut out of all computers for a week? At this point, Martians could land in the middle of Times Square, and I swear to you, no one would even notice. It's Thursday, March 29th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. So Facebook is facing some real uh, problems. Uh, and and so are we. Security is, is a growing issue. Cybersecurity and, and your privacy and what's online. What people can see, what people can do. We know that Russia has been manipulating us. We now know that uh, Cambridge Analytica has been manipulating us. Do we, do we really even understand this? Do we even really care? We should. William Hurtling is, a, is an author and a futurist. Uh, he has written several novels. I think I've read all of them. Uh, and I'm in the middle of his latest novel, which is called Kill Process. And it is, I mean, it was written two years ago, but it should have been written today. It is the Facebook problem. It is, it shows you how data can be used uh, by a company like Facebook. Welcome to the program, uh, William Hurtling. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me back on. So, um, William, the... The the main company uh, that your main character is after, Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I, obviously, I wasn't going to call them Facebook in the novel, <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I call the fictional company Tomo. Okay, um, but it's supposed to be the world's largest social networking company. And I really wanted to demonstrate what does it look like? What are all the different ways that people's data can be used and abused in a big company like that? And it's, you know, nearly limitless. Just the few, uh, uh, the first few chapters, and it gets worse as it goes on. Just in the first few chapters, your main character is using and abusing the data uh, to kill people, but the way she is spying on people and collecting data, can you take us through some of the some of the stuff that is is realistic? I mean, 
can happen. Sure. Well, everything, um, everything that you're doing all the time is being tracked, right? So we know this about a lot of things. What we search for, which web pages we look at, what we like on Facebook, who we talk to, what topics we discuss in our email, all of these things are being tracked. Um, there's other stuff too. Where was our phone? Where, when the last time it connected to Facebook to see if there were any new messages, right? There's location data. There's um, patterns of where you tend to be at different times of the day. And all of these things have some legitimate use, usages, and we can debate whether those make sense or not. But um, they are useful, like we like when things are personalized. The reason Facebook is so compelling is because it's personalized. It gives us the relevant content we want. Um, but all of this data is there. And so when it gets illegitimately used, whether it's, you know, in my novel, it's a company employee who chooses to abuse the access she has to everybody's data. She's a data analyst for the company. She has carte blanche access to all the data from all the users. And she basically mines through it to get whatever she wants about people, where they live, where they are at this moment in time, uh, who they connect to. She also can manipulate the data. As I'm reading this with, you know, um, uh, Cambridge Analytica in mind, I it was terrifying how she could manipulate what was in the feed, what people saw, um, and how she could shape people. Right. We're, we're all the sum of what we read and what we're exposed to. So everything influences us one way or the other. And there are people in control of that. There's either people or there's algorithms in control over what we see. So we're not getting uh, an unadulterated version of, <laughs> of the net, right? We're getting something that's tailored specifically to us. And who's doing that and what are their motivations, right? Um, I think about personalized ads, right? Personalized ads, if there's a band that I like that's coming to town and I find out about it just in time to buy their tickets, that's great. I love that. But if I'm being manipulated into wanting a particular car or if somebody's got maybe a body image disorder and they're seeing a lot of ads for plastic surgery, that's pretty manipulative, right? Now you're taking someone making major life and financial decisions and they're no longer reaching those decisions independently. They're doing it through a series of ongoing manipulations. So, you know, the, the, the thing that stuck, uh, stuck out um, was when they start talking about this, uh, you know, Tomo starts to talk about um, security and we're going to keep everybody's data safe. And she realizes that, no, they're not. I mean, they're using <laughs> this and, and, it's, and they're going to use it even for more nefarious things to make money. Um, and uh, she says something along the lines of, you know, they were manipulating people and they're using this data and they're violating privacy. And then she has this moment and it's just terrifying. She, she I mean, because she's using it to manipulate people to kill people. And uh, but she says, yes, I'm doing the same thing, but I'm doing it for the greater good. <laughs> right. Um, lots and lots of things. Lots of evil things are done by people who think they're doing it for a good purpose. Right. Um, and then sometimes evil things are done by people who have very nefarious purposes. Um, one of the things I talk about in the book is 
we have such a richness of data that's available online, what happens when it does get into the hands of a nefarious actor, right? A hacker who gets access to your personal data can discover things about you that they can exploit, right? Whether that's something major like a crime or just something embarrassing. Um, and then they can turn it around and they can blackmail you or they can extort you into giving them even more compromising material, which they'll then turn around and extort you into even more. And I write about this a lot in the book, um, but unfortunately it's not just fiction, right? This is happening in the real world. When you saw um, Cambridge Analytica, what were your thoughts? Um, I, you know, my first thought is that this is one of the inherent problems about our data getting out there on the net, which is once it's out there, once it's collected, we lose control over it, right? We can't control where it goes. Um, so, you know, the people paid, people were paid for their information. And then the first problem was more information was collected than anyone would have guessed, right? The 270,000 people who were paid by the Cambridge researcher for their data did not anticipate that they would be giving all of their friends' data <laughs> to the researcher as well. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is once all of that was collected, then we have no control or visibility into where it's going, right? So we don't know that it went from the Cambridge researcher to Cambridge Analytica. Uh, William, very different things. Yeah. In the book, you outline because this this woman uh, decides to stop killing people for a while and start working on a competitor to the Facebook in the book. And what you describe is fantastic. How come nobody's done that? You know what I describe is separating out the ownership, the the storage of data. From the companies that use it so that Facebook wouldn't own your data, a private data storage company would, and you could choose a private data storage company based upon their reputation for privacy and security. And if you don't like the privacy policies of one, you vote with your dollars and you take your business somewhere else. Um, that would actually rush an innovation. Why, does, why doesn't Facebook want that? Because they want to be in control over everything. No, I know that. Um, but why hasn't somebody gone up? I mean, is, is the time just not been right? And are we approaching a time when people are going to start to to think out of the box and say, we we need to separate all of this stuff. I I think you're going to see innovation that's going to push in that direction because the alternative is just one ever larger monopoly, right? And monopoly is not the way capitalism is meant to operate. So you'll end up seeing more and more forces arrayed against that. Uh, yeah, that's that my hope. As, this day is coming soon. Do you think, William, that Facebook has seen its best days? Facebook is really big, and they have a lot of momentum. So I don't think that they've seen their best days. You know, the, one of the biggest problems is that Facebook really holds your relationships hostage. Um, every time there's a Facebook scandal, and there's been many, people will, you'll see your friends post saying, I'm leaving Facebook. Uh, and I don't mean to mean what they're doing. I think it's great to be conscious about it, but a large portion of people either don't leave or they come back within a few months. Why? Because yeah. Facebook is where their friends are. Right. If they were to leave, they've lost their relationships to their friends. Um, and that really means that Facebook can do pretty much anything they want and no one's going to leave. 
William Hurtling, the name of the book is Kill Process, uh, a, a great read on tech and, uh, and a great thriller, one that I, uh, uh, that I haven't, I haven't uh, read anything like it before. You'll enjoy it. Kill Process, available now. William Hurtling, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. There's a new uh, look at the life and death of social networks that just came out, and they looked at Google Trends to see, you know, how these things happen. And so you have like Slashdot, which I don't even remember from back in like 2006, it peaked there. MySpace peaked in like 2008 uh, and was basically gone by 2011. Facebook passed MySpace in 2010 and continued to go all the way up to about 2014 where it peaked. Also with Twitter, peaked around the same time. Uh, Snapchat peaked in like 2016 and is already starting to fall i mean Ooh. snapchat's already starting to fall and the two that are rising right now are whatsapp which is owned by facebook which is the reason why you think facebook might be around for a while because they bought instagram and they bought they bought whatsapp and those they seem to be smart enough to realize to buy their competitors buy their competitors yeah and reddit still i said a, a continual rise uh, really throughout which is kind of interesting but those are uh, i mean these things can come and go but Facebook is doing something that MySpace didn't, which is at their peak, they look for their competitors and are buying them up. And thats it's a strategy that might add to their longevity. Every business person needs a great employee. They, you have to have great people around you. So how do you find them? May I recommend ZipRecruiter? ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way than just, um, you know, posting online. So they built a platform that finds the right job candidate for you. It learns what you're looking for. And then it goes out and searches the Internet for the people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job. Now, it, it not only posts so everybody who's looking for a job, it can, you know, it'll go out and and uh, and and post your job on all the biggest job sites. But it also goes out and really searches for those people, and then it invites them to apply for your job. That's why 80% of all employers get a quality candidate through the door in the first day. They sort them for you. They, they mark the best ones. They're like, this is the one you're looking for. So you don't miss a thing. Find out today how ZipRecruiter can help you by going to ZipRecruiter.com back. You can try it for free. Post your job for free. Get the right person quickly. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Opening day of baseball today, huh? It is. I'm very excited, as as most people are, about, of course, the Toronto Blue Jays home opener today. I have and, a soft uh, spot for baseball. Baseball is do? probably yeah. This is probably the only sport that I like. Really? Yeah, I like I, I like baseball, and one of the reasons why I like it is because it's so slow. You know, it's not the you know you're just you're kind of sitting there. It's more just of a social event. You can just sit there and you're like, oh, finally something happened. You know what happened here? Okay, good. And it's, so it's 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 slow enough. I I like that. Uh, well, it's not just the sport and the social aspect. There's also the ballpark food, which is a big attraction. And every year they announce the new foods that are coming out in all mm-hmm, the parks. Mm-hmm. This one's controversial though. Uh, it's it's here in Texas, the globe at Globe Life Park for the Texas Rangers, the Dilly Dog. Mm. Okay, it's so it's a giant hollowed out 
best made pickle. Oh, no. That is stuffed with a beef hot dog dipped in battered and deep fried. Hmm. It's worth a I shot. Di- I didn't have you until deep fried, did <laughs> you I? You didn't. Okay, well, so you had me dipped in batter and deep fried. Right. So pickle, so that the, it would be from the inside, interested. from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Hot dog, yes. Inside a pickle, mm-hmm. inside corn dog uh, mm-hmm. batter, deep fried. Mm-hmm. So you'd give it a shot. I give it a shot. I'm a big fan of corn dogs. Look at me. I'm a big fan of corn dogs. <laughs> you think I can tell that by sight? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I don't look like a guy who eats fair food. You may look like a guy who <laughs> yes. eats fair food. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, 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 that does not. I, I have mean, been for at restaurants reasons. and asked if they could just make a corn dog. What? Hmm? Like a they, fancy... always, they always claim no, but, you know, I think it's because they don't want to. I mean, they could clearly do it. They don't want to. Do you think they just have corn dog batter just hanging around? Yeah, you could. Yeah, sure. You make some batter, throw that around a hot dog, stick a stick in it, pop it down. Good stuff. See if I can say on this, the triple B. It's a a burger. It's a bacon, brisket, and bologna burger topped with barbecue sauce. I'm out. You're out. I'm out. Okay, how about this? Cheetos jalapeno bacon dog. It's got a hot dog wrapped in bacon covered with Cheetos cheese sauce topped with spicy jalapenos and crunchy Cheetos. No. You're out on that? I'm out. All right. Let me give you. Oh, God. Some of these are just. Uh, <laughs> all right. And this is another. You know, hot... Can I tell you something? Yeah. I went to a I went to a Yankees game in New York uh, in the old stadium. And then went and f- then like the next day had to fly out Seattle to Seattle had a, a meeting and went to a game in Seattle. It was a completely different, it was a completely different experience. <laughs> when I got to Seattle, you know, everybody was like, "Can I get you an espresso?" And I'm like, "You would have been beaten to death in New York <laughs> if you would have asked that question." Glenn Beck Mercury This is the Glenn Beck program Now that you reminded me that it was first day of baseball now you've got me all nostalgic I didn't know I know I know it's weird it really it really is weird because what you like about sports and the only thing you like about sports is that sort of nostalgic connection to family you know yeah it makes me think of my dad and I don't know why I mean we you know well I do but I don't know I'm all nostalgic now (laughs) that's bizarre I did not know you you know I think this is the first time that that's done that to me I you know I I uh you know we've we've not uh, we've not talked about my father's passing at all, and I got very quiet about my dad. Um, I, if you're a longtime listener of this program, you know that uh, for years my dad and I didn't have a relationship at all, and um, and then we had the greatest relationship, just the best, uh, and he was my best friend. And about six years before he died. Uh, during really the first year at Fox, 
um, there was a family issue and, and, um, and I really didn't talk to my dad after that. And any conversation that we did had have was really surface. It was full of lies. It was just full of lies. And, uh, it was bizarre. And then he died. And, and strangely, Trump is, is part of my dad's death narrative. I was staying at the Trump Tower in New York. And, uh, and uh, I had to leave quickly. And Donald Trump called me and said, why, why did you, was there a problem with the hotel? Why did you leave? And I said, no, my, my, my father passed away. And so I've just I've and and we for reasons I'm not going to get into now we 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 never had a funeral for my dad, um, we've never had a memorial service and and we, all the kids we just kind of went on and it, it was not healthy. I don't think that's healthy. And when John Huntsman died recently, that uh, really affected me. And part of that was, you know, he played kind of a father figure role in my life uh, there towards the end. And, you know, he was really the only reason why I called my dad toward the end. Because uh, he said, you just don't want to. Don't let it end like that. Don't basically. let it end that way. Yeah. Don't let it end that way. Even though it did, I tried not to let it end that way. That's all you can do. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can't, you know, I was there for a lot of that and saw you going through it. It's the, you, I think, did all you could do, right? I mean, you you were doing things for the right reasons and that doesn't always, you know, I, I, you, you have those things where the last thing, you relive the last interaction you had with, uh, with you know, a relative. And that's, I, I, I've, I've had that happen. We've, I've had several relatives die uh, you know, over the past, you know, years with my, both my grandparents, uh, or three of my grandparents and, uh, my dad as well. Um, and you know, you go back to that and you think, you know, like with my grandmother, I remember I was, I meant to call her, you know, like I had, I had oh. a call scheduled like in my head, like oh. I got to call her this day and I, I didn't. And then she passes away. Remind to me to again. call my aunt today. <laughs> right. I've been thinking about this for like three months. Yes. I got to call my aunt Joanne. On my to-do list right now, oh. I have three or four people that I haven't talked to in a while that I've been meaning to call and mm. I haven't gotten to it. And But like at, at first it really bothered me because, you know, I went to go see her. Uh, you know, she had, she was, you know, no longer communicating, um, but I did get down there before she actually passed away, but I never talked to her again. And for a while, that killed me. It was like, ah, oh, jeez, you know, I sh- I, what was I doing? Some stupid monologue for this dumb show. Wait, instead of talking wait a minute, to her. all of a sudden it's my fault? <laughs> yes, it's actually your fault. <laughs> right. It's part of her death narrative. It's Glenn Beck's <laughs> fault. Uh, but, you know, I was busy with work and I just didn't get to it. And what? I'll call her in a week. There's I no know. big deal, right? Um, and um, uh, it, for a while, it really bothered me. And then I, I, I kind of come to the conclusion that that's, it's actually a really dumb way to think about it. What you go through an entire life with someone talking to them all these things what was the what was the breadth of that relationship what was what, what what did you do as a whole the last reaction the last thing you do with that person is no more meaningful than the first thing you did or the thing in the middle it's about 
what you did over the entire relationship. Could it be that I'm justifying that I feel bad about not calling her? Sure. But overall, I think it's an actually true, true point. We, as human beings, so, totally overemphasize that last thing. Gosh, I wish I did that last thing. What does that mean? What does it matter? If you treated that person with respect and had a good relationship throughout your entire life, that last thing shouldn't bother you like that. So the, the last thing that my, uh, my sister uh, remembers about my mom was that they had a fight and, uh, and that I blamed it on my sister. You know, I am I'm 13 yeah, years kid, old. Yeah. I'm a kid. And, you know, they had a fight. And the next day, my mom is dead. And, you know, and I I didn't even remember saying this to her. But I uh, she reminded me <laughs> years later. <laughs> I bet. Uh, you know, uh, I pointed my finger to her and said, you know, if mom is, if there's a problem, if mom's dead, it's your fault. And so she carried that around for years. And I didn't even remember. I mean, I, it was meaningless to you. Meaningless it was just a moment of me. anger and a tough yeah. spot. Yeah. And, and she carried that around as her last thing. And I, I, one of my last things with my mom was, uh, is I, it was a right around this time of the year. And I, I remember walking by her uh, and she had her hands in the sink and she was washing the pots and pans in the kitchen. And we had a hallway right by the kitchen. We lived in this like, it must have been like 900 square foot house. And we were, I walked by her and I looked and I stopped. I mean, it was so, the prompting in me was so loud. I, just, I actually stopped just past the door frame. And, um, and I, I heard, stop, go back, tell her you love her. She won't be with you long. And I thought, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I didn't do it. And I regretted that mm. for decades, decades. And I think like it's okay to have a regret over something like that. It's yeah. okay to, to, but it's not. It's not. Yeah. It shouldn't. That that's that's me. That's not anything with her or anything how she felt. No, or, and I think we tend to define our entire relationship with someone like that by that last moment. We just inflate its value. The last thing I did, oh, I should have called her. The last thing I did was have a fight with her. Well, you know, that, that, that's silly. It's a silly thing to do. You know, you, you overwhelm the previous 30, 40 years of a relationship because you had one argument, you know, on one day and that happens to be the last thing. Like, that's not the way these things work. Especially, too, as, you know, I, th I think we all do this, but if you're a person of faith, you really know that's not how these things work. Oh, man, this is such great news. I mean, if you're listening right now, I mean, really take that to heart, especially if you're O.J. Simpson. I mean, the last thing I did was cut her head off. And, and uh, I mean, what about the rest of our relationship? Yeah, that was domestic abuse and terror. See, again, what if they had a really nice moment as their last moment? Would that have saved it? No. Okay, all right. Okay, I think I get it now. <laughs> all right. Liberty Safe. They make great safes. They make them here in America, and now they make them really easy to own one. LibertySafe.com. You can buy a Liberty Safe at a great price and receive 12 months interest-free payments with zero down and zero APR. They even offer Liberty Safes now for as low as $20 a month. Liberty Safe. Um, they've been building safes for I don't even know how many years they've been in business, and they had this idea of we can build a great safe and we can build it here in america you don't have to take it off offshore we can build them here 
So because they build them here and because they build them right, because they've done test after test after test, comparing Liberty with the competitor, and it just smashes all of them into the dust, you get the peace of mind. You also have a lifetime warranty. You have in-home delivery service that is unmatched in the industry. And when you buy a Liberty safe, the number one complaint is I should have bought a bigger one. So rethink it. If you're looking at a Liberty safe, look at one slightly larger. I, I swear to you, that is the number one complaint. Have it installed right in your home. Now with 12 months interest-free payments for as low as $20 a month on approved credit. You need to act now. Protect what you value most. Your valuables are always protected with a Liberty safe. Go to LibertySafe.com right now. The home of the best-built safes on the planet. LibertySafe.com Glenn Beck Mercury Glenn Beck Now, if I feel really bad because I'm in this... Like, because you set me off... And said his first day of baseball. Mm-hmm. I started thinking about my dad and then, you know. And now, now that we've joked about O.J. Simpson, uh, you know, and his skills, uh, now I kind of feel like I want to tell you. remember the story that uh, that I told you about when I uh, when my dad and I won, uh, I think it was uh, game six of the World Series in 1975. Remember that? I do remember that story. Yeah. Emphasis on story. Emphasis yes, on story. Because it's not a real well, story. No, I don't. It's not. I don't true. know if you. You it, don't. There's no need truth. to talk about it. I mean, because I think Cause I should a, share it. I think I should share it again because it was a. But you just was had a, a real moment talking about your we dad. Did and let's leave it there because the audience coming in at the top of the hour they will not know we just had that real tender moment. So you're going to screw with the other audience? Yeah, that didn't hear the other. They'll be sucked into this story and they'll never see it coming. So you're going to, you're telling people in advance that you're going to tell them a story that's not true. Yeah, because the people who join in the third hour, generally, the people who are in the second hour, this hour, Mm -hmm. smart. The Mm -hmm. people who join us in the third hour, not so much. I've seen the (laughs) testing on it. Not so much. I don't think we've done that. No, I, I like the people in hour two. We tell them the truth. People in hour three, screw with them. Yeah. I don't know that that's a good broadcasting <laughs> or business I just idea. have to tell this story. <laughs> I, just, I just thought of it. I hadn't thought of it in a long time. And it's such a great story. Again, emphasis on story. But uh, So coming up at the beginning of next hour? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, uh, great baseball story. It is quite a journey. When my, it is that. a journey. It is a journey. Down memory lane. Dave, my dad and I won... Game six of the World Series. Memory lane, meaning you, you lied about the story previously as well. I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. By the way, I saw a uh, I saw a documentary last night, um, and I want you to go and uh, and go to ourfilm.org, ourfilm.org, and I want you to sign up. It, it's it's going to just come to you once they have everything all finished. They're just getting some of the rights and everything else uh, buttoned up. And it's going to be released. Um, I saw it last night. One of the first audiences to see it. It was, it's unbelievable. Finally, uh, th- this uh, director, uh, Nick Nanton, is, uh, he's won a whole bunch of Emmys and everything else. 
He's a great storyteller, and he found a way to tell the story of slavery in a way that moves people and is is good. It's you leave feeling so hopeful. It's really amazing. And they don't want to release it in theaters or anything else. Um, And they're not trying to make money on it. They just want to get the, the word out. The amazing thing is, is they've they've tested this online with people. It's about an hour and 20 minutes. Um, and they've, they've put it out, uh, to a test audience. That test audience made it go viral so quickly, just within the test audience and their friends, it raised $3 million and it doesn't ask you for a donation. It's raised $3 million in three days from people watching the film and going, I have got to be involved. It's unbelievable. It's a good format for that because we, we, we've struggled with this. We've talked about so it on the hard. air. It's, it's like so it's hard. such a tough topic to get through. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, this yes, is... these stories end in a relatively happy way, right? Like these, yeah. you know, OUR is going in there and they're actually saving people's lives and they're going to freedom and they're seeing their families again. So there's, there's a it great is... ending, but like it's tough to slog through the details. You will have so much hope all the way through this. I mean, it, they've, they've found the way to tell this story. And really make it um, relatable and inspiring. You'll watch it, and I promise you, you're going to send it to a friend and say, you've got to watch this. So um, get it. It's free. You just register for it to come to you uh, at ourfilm.org, ourfilm.org. Sign up. It'll, it'll drop online in about eight to ten weeks. But go to the website. You can get the trailer. Pass it on to people and say, hey, sign up for this. But this is the audience to spread the word you know if anybody's ever said i don't know what i can do i don't know what i can do this is what you can do you sign up for this when it drops you spread it to everyone you know post it everywhere because this is so powerful and so hopeful it just it's great and unlike uh, your baseball memories it's actually not completely false i don't know what you're I don't know what you're trying to do. I don't. I don't know what you're trying to do. That is a very tender story, and I'm. 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 Look at me. I'm a little. You're welling. I'm up. a little verschmeckled right now mm-hmm. on 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 the whole memory itself, and mm-hmm. whether I can muster the strength to get through that memory. You seem to be fine. I. <laughs> well, you don't know. You don't know. It could fall apart at any because it's a very tender memory um it is it's hmm? it's, it's a tender let's just not talk about it let's just let's just just let it be just let it be first day of baseball oh my gosh the memories you know me i'm a huge sports fan so the memories of opening day of baseball ah oh, smell of freshly cut grass and and the cry out of the neighborhood, play ball, boy. I, ooh, this, this is evil. I just want to make sure the, people know that. The memories. I'm going to share a memory <laughs> when we come back about the day my dad and I won the World Series together. The year 1975. You'll never forget it. <laughs> Glenn, really back, Mercury. Love, courage, truth. Glenn 
back. I was 11 years old. It was the summer of 1975. I contend it was the summer that my dad and I won Game 6 of the World Series. And I remember it like it was yesterday. You know those kind of memories that you can... You can smell the memory. You can, you can smell the house. You can smell the grass. Everything is just so vivid. The way grass smells right after it's been cut in the summer. You can see the way the sun would shine and, and it would come through the living room window and bounce off the hardwood floor every morning. You slept with your window open and you could feel the cool breeze in the morning. Do you remember what it felt like every day, running and playing, just being a kid? Summertime meant something. Summertime. We don't crave the summer just for the sun. We crave it because it was, it was the most important time in our life. I don't know if it's like this for kids anymore, but it was in the summer that you became who you are. You became your own person. You developed a life of your own. It's where you found what you love and later who you loved. When I was 11 years old, I found what I loved. Radio. Radio in a bizarre way. And my love of baseball through the radio. But it, it was all tangled up in summer. And one summer it just consumed me. My passion. Every single day that summer, nine o'clock, I would meet with Jim and Freddie and my best friend Mike, along with seven or eight other interchangeable stragglers, and we'd make about a two-mile hike into a rundown field. It was right off of Main Street behind the hardware store, and none of us had a $200 aluminum bat or a case of brand-new baseballs, and nobody was watching us. We had an old wooden bat that had been given to Freddie by his older brother. He had cracked it at practice, so we... We took some tape and we, we bound that bat up, held together by the tape. The grip was so worn that you were sure to go home with a splinter or two every single day. The ball we had found in the woods. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so it was a little waterlogged. It had been there for a few months, so it was more of a shot put than a baseball. But that didn't stop us. Every day... All day, we'd be there. And we wouldn't stop for anything except for the trek over to the, to the store on the corner where we would get a Coke or some bazooka bubble gum. And we'd all pretend we were in the major leagues. We'd stand there for hours with a stick in your hand, swinging away against imaginary pitchers. Practice rounding the bases, winning the game, the last game of the World Series. 
Those were remarkable summer days. But then, the real excitement came when I came home. Because we'd rush through dinner and we'd clean our rooms so we could sit in front of the TV and our mom would say, don't sit so close, you're going to get eye cancer. But we were able to watch the first few innings of the game. But only the first few innings because mom and dad were both sticklers for bedtime. Even during the summer, we we're like, there's no homework, there's no school. We'd beg, we'd complain, we'd scream, we'd argue, we'd do, you know, I'm just down for a drink of water. I just need, a, we did all the tricks. Never got me past the fourth inning. Sometime in the fourth inning, my dad would drag me up to bed. And that would be the end of my baseball adventure for another day. Or so he thought. It was early that summer that I discovered what I like to call the vent. I think it's where I get my love for radio. We had this old house, and there was this big old black iron vent at the top of the stairs. And it served as a tunnel straight to the ballpark. We'd get tucked in, I'd wait for mom to go to bed, and then I'd slowly open the door, and my head would peek out, and I would creep towards the hallway. I'd carefully place my feet in a pattern that I had diligently created. It took me a long time to find out exactly which boards creaked and which ones didn't. Then I would slowly get on my hands and knees, and I would place my face, my ear, to that cold vent. I can still feel the cold steel up against my face and the sound of the TV. I couldn't see any pictures. I had to make them in my mind. As that sound would make its way up the metal tube and spill out into a picture painted by words, a picture that was so vivid in my imagination that I felt like I had front row seats right behind home plate. I had a hot dog in my hand, a soda, a box of Cracker Jacks. I could smell the grass. I remember listening to the World Series that year. It was, the, it was between the Reds and the Red Sox. And while the broadcasters were artists with their words, it was a number that stuck out of my head most of all, and that number was 1918. 1918. The Red Sox hadn't won the World Series since 1918, but this year they had to win because I wanted them to. My dad wanted them to. I sat there in the hallway night after night. My knees, I swore, were bruising. My back would ache. Just waiting for the moment that the Red Sox would do the impossible and defeat the big red machine. Five nights of heart-pounding suspense. Red Sox were down three games to two. By this time now, summer had ended. School had returned. My bedtime was strictly enforced. It was October 21st, I remember the date. October 21st, 1975. I remember everything. It was right after the second inning. 
that I had to go upstairs kicking and screaming. I just need another drink of water. I can still remember my dad saying, don't worry, I'll tell you about it in the morning. After I gave up and as I was kind of stomping up the stairs, I remember thinking, you're not going to have to tell me. I know I don't have to wait until tomorrow because I have the vent. And as I hit the top of the stairs, I quickly washed up and climbed into my bed and waited to hear my mom pass by my door, check on it, see if I was sleeping. I was good at pretending. I waited in my bed for five long World Series minutes, five minutes. I heard her come up the stairs. I heard her close her door. Her night was over, and mine had just begun. I remember getting up carefully, oh, so carefully, stepping out of my room, creeping across the floor, putting my feet in exactly the right spots, make sure there wasn't a sound or a creak from the floorboard, and I slowly, carefully made my way to the vent down on my hands and knees, my face pressed up against the cold steel. That's when everything changed. I wasn't there for very long when I heard a sound. I heard the sound. It was a unique sound. It was, there was nothing else in the house that sounded like this, especially if you're listening for this sound. If this sound is trouble, when you hear this sound, you don't miss it. It was the sound that only my father could make when he pulled the squeaky lever on his tattered, you know, vinyl recliner. I instantly broke into a cold sweat. He's getting out of his chair. Now, some things in life are certain. There's death, there's taxes, and there's dad sitting in his favorite chair watching America's pastime. Okay, 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 don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. He's just going to the fridge. He's getting another beer. Don't panic. He's got to go to the bathroom. I'm sure that's what it is. He's not coming upstairs. I haven't made a sound but I could hear the squeak of the floors downstairs, and they were not headed toward the kitchen or the bathroom. They were headed towards the stairs. I sat there, paralyzed, seemingly unable to move. I, 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 I don't know what happened to me. I could not move. I don't know when it dawned on me that it was too late. There's no way I could get out of here and go back to bed because I'd have to run across the floor. I'd give myself away. This is the first moment, as, as a kid, I mean, when you're a little kid, maybe, but this was, I was at the, I was, I was becoming an adult, and yet this was the first moment that I, I really willed myself to be invisible. I am invisible. He will not see me. Yeah, that didn't work. Um, maybe it occurred to me when I, I heard the creak of the first stair that he he wasn't uh, walking up the stairs, but he was sneaking up the stairs. My dad seemed to have the same kind of abilities that I was developing. We had something in common. I heard the creak of the first stair and then the second and then the third, and my mind began to scramble for an excuse. I had to go to the bathroom and I just fell. I dropped something down the vent, Dad. and I was like, I didn't have a good excuse. He was almost at the top of the stairs, and I could see the back of my dad's bald head. 
I just sat there like a deer in headlights. My only defense. I, I, I was just I was just hoping that I wasn't going to get run over in this accident like that deer. I, I, I stared at my father. He stopped at the top of the stairs. His back still not his his back still facing me. He still hadn't seen me. He paused. I was frozen. And then he turned. But the way he turned, he turned and looked straight directly at me. He knew I was there with the vent. I wondered if he had known I had been there every night before. I sat there and I waited a very loud and unbearable punishment and my dad looked at me and I looked up to him, guilty eyes begging for lenience, and I just said, Hi. He looked at me and he smiled and he shook his head and he said, Come downstairs. I thought I was going to get the punishment of my life. And then he said, And don't wake your mother. The two of us both tiptoed back down the stairs, and we sat there trying to contain our excitement as the game went into extra innings. I'd never seen a smile on my dad's face like this. I knew if just the two of us had rooted hard enough that the Red Sox would win. They couldn't lose because my dad and I were now in it together. It was the bottom of the twelfth inning. Up steps Carlton Fisk. Red Sox catcher. First pitch up and in. Ball one. Palms were sweating in anticipation. Pat Darcy, Cincinnati pitcher, began his windup, and my dad said, This is it. This is it. He was right. Darcy released a sinker down and in. Fist just belted it down the line. My dad stood up and yelled, Stay fair! Stay fair! And it's as if any thought of my mom sleeping was completely gone and disappeared with a crack of the bat. Stay fair! He kept screaming. Even Fisk was standing on the plate with both hands waving, trying to will the ball fair. My dad and I were both now standing, screaming, Stay fair! Some people would say that my dad and I had nothing to do with the World Series that year. Some would say that a father and a son can't make a ball stay fair. But I know in my heart, I know that's not true. The ball banged off the metal mesh of the pole, and it was fair. It was a home run. It won the game. My dad and I were just screaming. We were jumping so much. I think we woke up the entire neighborhood in the process. Well, everybody except my mother. But we didn't care. And once everything calmed down, it was just me and my dad standing there, staring at the TV and then at each other. Our shoulders were squared back. Fisk could hit the ball. But we were the ones that kept it fair. The Red Sox would go on to lose Game 7, but it didn't matter. I had spent a night with my dad that neither of us would ever forget. My dad and I won Game 6 of the World Series, and we won it together.
as I look back on that night in October, I can't help but think that the only way that this could have been better would be if if just one word of this story had actually been true. Wouldn't that have been great? I just, if no love for baseball, my dad and I, I did have the vent, <laughs> but I used to listen to Carson. Just mean. After my dad was in bed and my mother would watch Carson and I would listen to it on the vent. But, but it's a good day for, you know, good story for, you know, first day of baseball. <laughs> With the vault. Volatility in the stock market, wild swings in Bitcoin, and the constant turmoil in Washington. I don't know if you've noticed, but gold is doing pretty well. And Goldline uh, would like to do a couple of things. First of all, um, I want you to know that uh, I invest in cryptocurrencies, but you really need to do your homework. And uh, we're working on something with a, a guy from a uh, former Wall Street guy who is really he's one of the bigger names in cryptocurrency investing and i've asked him to put together a little uh, a school kind of thing for you and i'll tell you about that later um but goldline wants to do the same thing in in a way they they've put together a uh you know a little portfolio that talks about cryptocurrencies and and it's really the same kind of thing that i i feel you just don't you don't go in on cryptocurrencies with money that you can't afford to lose um, because you could lose it. What is it doing it today? It was at 20,000. Now it's at six, nah, seven, something. Yeah, 73. Yeah. Um, gold is also not an all in strategy. Gold is something that you use as an insurance policy. When everything goes haywire, when you have the fed raising in, uh, interest rates, they're doing that because of inflation. Gold is the hedge against inflation. So I want you to call them and find out if uh, gold or silver is right for you. Ask them about uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, what you need to know. They'll send you this package. And they also, uh, just for asking, will send you this. This is a, a copper coin. I, I, I love this. Uh, it's a St. Gaudens copper coin. You just ask for it, and they're going to send it to you for free, along with all of the uh, important information to find out if gold or silver is right for you. Especially right now is the time to look into your IRA program and see if you uh, want to put some money into gold or silver. Call 866-GOLDLINE. Ask how you can get the special for their IRA. 866-GOLDLINE. 1-866-GOLDLINE. The people, the operators are standing by now. They're really good people. I know them. And they're waiting for your call at 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Okay, uh, here I think is my favorite story of the day. Playboy magazine announced yesterday that it has deactivated its Facebook page amidst uh, revelations uh, that Cambridge Analytica had used the social media platform to obtain private information. Cooper Hefner, Playboy's chief creative officer and son of Hugh Hefner, said that they had dropped Facebook now. Because Facebook's content guidelines and corporate policies continue to, quote,
contradict Playboy's values. (laughs) (laughs) I don't recognize the world anymore. Glenn Beck Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Hello, Mike in Connecticut. Welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. How you doing, Glenn? Pretty good, man. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Glenn, I want to thank you for uh, telling that story today um, about Fenway Park and the Red Sox. Yeah. Um, I just want to let you know that that was a real story for me. My father and my brother, uh-huh. it was... Uh, quite a night. It was definitely a connecting point with my dad. Uh, it just, I had to pull over. I was in the car and I had to pull over and, uh, listen to the rest of that story. Now, Mike, Thank you very much. Mike, I, it's great. Did I, you feel I, cheated, Mike? After you heard it was totally bogus. I mean, I mean, yeah, I feel a little dirty. You did feel yeah. cheated? Yeah. 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 Sorry. About we all that. did. Yeah. We all did, Mike. <laughs> it's just such a great story. I just couldn't pass it up, but I'm glad, I'm glad that it connected with you. Just forget yeah, the last couple real. of lines. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it was definitely real for me. For you. Yes. Good. Good. Mike, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for connecting. God bless. I feel a little dirty. Yeah, I feel like yeah. the end of Cheap. a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of lifetime movies where I'm rocking back and forth in the shower mm-hmm. thinking I just can't get clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that I, that mm-hmm. that story will do that too. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Hey, um <laughs> let's let's go to uh let's go to the uh Pulse nightclub story. Pat? Mhm. Pretty well informed guy. Are you not? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you have heard on the latest on the Pulse nightclub shooting. The latest? Yeah, the latest. A lot of people died (laughs) in a terrorist shooting there? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Uh, Mm-hmm. That's about the latest I've heard. Okay, so here is the latest. Two years later, we found out yesterday, and this should be at the top of every news feed, and I've been watching all day. I've been watching the networks. Nothing. I've seen nothing on the Pulse nightclub. Okay, try this. So remember... It was the the narrative was this guy who was an Islamic extremist, but he he was probably gay and he was repressing it. And so, you know, mm-hmm. America hates gays and he hated gays because he was repressing it because of his religion. And it's all religion is bad. And that's what made him go in and shoot. Right. Mm-hmm. So here's what we found out yesterday afternoon. The Pulse nightclub was not his intended target. Instead, It was Disney. At 10 p.m., the killer arrived at the Disney World shopping and entertainment area. He took a stroller out of his car and put a weapon in the stroller. There's security camera footage showing him passing multiple police and security officers and then pulling the stroller back and watching their movements. It apparently made him rethink his choice. So wait a minute. Wow. Revelation number wow. one, good guys with a gun stopped him from shooting up Disney. Then he went into his car. He left and he Googled downtown Orlando nightclubs. He didn't type in gay clubs. He just put downtown Orlando nightclubs. Two hits came up that he followed the top two Eve nightclub, which is not gay and pulse. 
He pulled up the directions to Eve, started driving, surveilled the club. Then he got directions to Pulse and drove and surveilled and did the same. He apparently decided that Eve was an easier target because he plugged the directions back into his phone. He began to drive in that direction, and then he had a change of mind. He turned around, and he went to Pulse. Not once did he make a derogatory mark about gay, remark about gay people. Everything that he said was uh, about U.S. policy in the Middle East and his bringing violence to the USA mainland. He made that call right before he went in and shot everybody up. So this had nothing to do with homosexuality and good guys with guns thwarted his main target. Jeez. How, how, how we not know that? How, how is this coming out today? And okay, you can say, well, we had to make sure that it wasn't because of the trial, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Why isn't this a story today? Doesn't fit the narrative. Simple as that, right? That's it. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. And look at how much, look how much we have done to ourselves because we were on, we were playing for our tribe. Yeah. Everybody was playing for their tribe. This is about Islamic terrorism, which it was. No, no, no. This is about how much people hate gay people. No, this is you're just anti-Islamic uh, people. No, no. Well, he went and targeted. This is about the gun. No, this is about one thing. A guy who is pissed off at U.S. policy and believed that Allah would prepare a way for him and give him 70 virgins or... I don't know. They're, they're probably down some version. It might get 40 now. I'm not really sure. But you get an unspecified number of virgins if you kill yourself and other people. That's, that's all this was about. And how is it possible that that took two years to discover? You know it didn't. No, it didn't. No, it was released because of the, because of the court case. Against the wife. Yes, him, against which, the wife. Who also looks, by the way, like she had something to do with this, or at least had yeah, knowledge. I, I remember her being suspicious at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at first they were like, ah, oh, no, it doesn't look yeah. like, it looks like she's clear, and now it looks like and she... And remember what she said? She she was on the record saying, well, he looked at himself a lot in the mirror. <laughs> so that's where they took, well, he must be gay. Must be gay. Only gay people look at themselves a lot in the mirror. <laughs> I don't think what? that's true. I don't true, think that's true. Per se. No, I, I don't think it is, but find that interesting and kind of important because this how is this not related to the news of the day we're arguing about Mm. the second amendment no you have evidence right here good guys with guns turned a bad guy with a gun away and it's more evidence because the same thing happened last week in the maryland school shooting yep a good guy with a gun stopped it almost immediately and certainly before anyone died one person died. I think she died. I think only the kill, only the shooter died. No, I thought right? she Maybe went to the one. hospital, and I think she died. Did she eventually die? I think she eventually did died. Did she? Yeah. Yeah. But it was the girl in critical condition did eventually die. Yeah, it, I think she did. Mm. But I could be wrong, but I think she did. A, a, certainly a different <clears throat> yeah. story. Yeah. Oh, completely yeah. different story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Than, than the Parkland shooting. Yeah. So they don't want, but that doesn't, again, that doesn't fit the narrative. They don't want anything. They got these kids out yelling about you know, gun rights and, and taking them away and how adults are soulless and they are uncompassionate. And it, it, the whole narrative right now is against every right-thinking American who believes in the Second Amendment. We're, we're being presented as if we're terrible people who just want children to die. 
I'm just really getting tired of that narrative. Really getting tired of it. There's going to come a time. I think when people have had enough of the Parkland students controlling this narrative, and we're going to stand up and say, okay. Well, I don't know when that is. I mean, if you saw that Laura Ingram is now being attacked because she said, you know, he can't get in. Trying to boycott. Yeah, they're trying to boycott her. And and they're actually saying that she had no right. You don't do that. You don't say those things. Excuse me. Now, he could say anything he wants. Yeah, he can call Dana Lash mm-hmm. any name in the book. And the I'm NRA. sorry, you lose your right mm-hmm. to um, uh, civility. Now, I'm not, I'm going to try to continue to be civil. So but don't don't try my. to tell me that mm-hmm. you are beyond reproach if right. you are engaging in that yourself. Nope. The rule has always been, all right, kids and families are, are off limits. They're, they're not part of this. But when the, when the when families and the kids engage in the political forum, we are, I'm sorry, then you're fair game. And I'm sorry, no matter who makes it, a point is always fair game. Yeah. If someone is making a point an argument, is always a fair game. You, it's That's always true. fair game. You don't need to personally attack someone. But I mean, Laura yeah. Ingram's a good example. She didn't. He, he came out and he complained about not getting into a few colleges and the, Laura Ingram tweeted an article that said, well, you you know, you're whining about not getting into colleges, but actually with your grade point average, which is actually it was a 4.1, mm-hmm. a fine grade point average, but it's not good enough to get into. I think it was UCLA. That's not that's not that's not making fun. <laughs> wow. She's not mocking. You need a you need higher than a 4.1 to get into UCLA. That's stringent. I remember when I was a kid. Like a two to UCLA. (laughs) I remember when I was a kid, there was only 4.0. How how high does it go now? I don't know. (laughs) I think it goes almost to five now when you do extra credit and Is this is this is this common core math? Yeah, no, it's just it's the new system that they have. When you do extra things, you can be like I think all the way up to a four eight I've seen. I don't know if it goes higher than that. Maybe it does, but well, what we do know is that... I wasn't in that stratosphere when I was a kid. <laughs> I, know, yeah. I know, We know that uh, 17-year-olds are, of course, wise enough uh, to, uh, to, to devise our national gun strategy. That yeah. we know. Yes, that we do we know, know that. That's that for certain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't get into UCLA, but, <laughs> but you can change the Constitution. We should follow your advice on the Constitution. Before you go, Stu, or I mean, uh, Pat, there's um, uh, something you've been talking about on your show for a while. Yeah. That how bad Cosmo is for kids. Oof. Uh, you know, I hadn't thought about it that much until the campaign. Victoria Hearst founded this campaign. It's interesting because her family's corporation, the Hearst Corporation, publishes Cosmo. Uh, but she's not trying to censor the magazine in any way. She just wants material harmful to minor laws applied to Cosmo, so kids under 18 can't buy it. And when you look at the articles in the magazine, it's pretty clear kids under 18 shouldn't have shouldn't have access to 31 different positions that you and your lesbian lover can get into. Um, it's articles like that there's not thir- all throughout every single magazine. And there's not 32. Is it, there's just the 31. No, there's position. 31. You're okay. right. You're right. It is just 31. <laughs> it's only 31. Make sure yeah. we know yeah. that. Only there's 31. not 36. Like Robbins. 31 players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's 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 92 different 
uh, genders. Right, but only, but only, 30, but only 31 positions. different positions. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But the, they, it seems like the campaign is having a big effect. Uh, apparently, Walmart has taken it out of their aisle uh, stands, the little yeah. new stands bad. in their aisles, and, and, and put it somewhere else in the store or removed it completely. I, I don't know, but that's it's awesome that people are having... They're making a difference, and you can make a difference if you just take a stand. Where do you where do you go to find this information? CosmoHurtsKids.com. Thank you. Yeah. All right. If you've ever wanted to refinance your mortgage, but you didn't want to start a 30-year loan again, American Financing can help. When you're refinancing to eliminate mortgage insurance or lower your rate or consolidate high-interest debt, you don't have to worry about resetting your loan because at American Financing, they offer 9-, 13-, or 18-year loans it really pretty much any term that you need. It is a custom loan for you, and you choose the term based on your budget, and they'll find the most competitive interest rate. It's, it's your mortgage, your way. Plus, with a fixed rate, no matter where interest rates go, yours will stay the same. Monthly payments don't increase. If you have an adjustable mortgage, now is the time to change that. It takes one call to the salary-based mortgage consultants, and they're going to guide you through the options that will customize the right program to achieve your financial goals. It may may even get you closed in as fast as 10 days. So call American Financing now, 800-906-2440, 800-906-2440, or online at AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. I want to tell you again about a uh, film that I saw last night. Uh, it is about um, the Operation uh, Underground Railroad, about saving kids from slavery. And it is um, absolutely fantastic. It is something that we have been trying to crack this code for a while. And it is, quite frankly, the same code that even Ben Franklin tried to crack. How, how do we get people to care about slavery and watch it? Because it's such a horrible thing. How do you do it and, and leave people with hope? Um, there is this amazing director, Nick Nanton, and he he has um, directed this documentary and put it together, and it is coming out in about eight weeks. It's going to be uh, pushed out online. There, we're asking that you will watch it and share it with a friend. Um, just go to ourfilm.org, O-U-R-film.org, and sign up, and in about eight weeks, it'll come, and uh, and then just watch it, and then ship it to a friend. It will leave you with so much hope and joy. It's it's weird because, you know, it's an hour and 20 minutes, and you can't take your eyes off of it. It It deals with really dark stuff, but it has so much hope in it. Um, they've, they've did it with a test audience. And I think in three days they raised $3 million and it doesn't ask you to, to donate just people watch it. And they're like, I've got to get involved. So please, if you've ever thought, what can I do? This is it. Uh, go to our film.org. O U R film.org and, uh, and sign up. So it'll be sent to you right when it, when, when it's uh, available. Let me give you an audio of, of another impossible to talk about topic. This is a rape survivor talking oh, this about, is amazing. this is an amazing clip talking Listen about being pro-life. There's no forgetting. No woman is ever going to forget what happened to her. 
I've been told so many times that if you just had an abortion, you won't always have this reminder hanging over your head, this reminder. Is my son a reminder? He absolutely is. My son is a reminder every day that as women, we can rise above our circumstances. My son is a reminder that love is always stronger than hate and that who we are as human beings is not determined by how we were conceived. A woman at her most broken needs hope and help and love and people rallying around her. She does not need violence on top of violence, tragedy on top of tragedy. I'm here tonight, one woman, but I speak for most of us when I say, stop calling my son a rapist child. Stop calling him evil seed and child of the devil. He is my son and he has a right to be here. Do not use me and my rape and my story and the story of all of us mothers from rape who love our children as a banner, as a banner to hide behind and excuse the genocide of the innocent. We love our children. That is one of the most powerful, most powerful statements I have heard from a mother. Mm. Um, We'll make that available so you can pass that on as well. We'll see it tonight at 5 o'clock on The Blaze TV. Glenn Beck Mercury.